0: Get up, BDL. It's time for the Inside Podcast with your friend, Mike, everyone's favorite Canadian and yours truly. I'm Scotty, the Undisputed Commissioner of Fantasy Baseball. It's almost draft time here in the BDL, and you know what that means. Mock draft time. BDL mock draft specialist Chris of the Malibu Bay Beers is here to project every pick in the first round of the upcoming draft. Plus, after the mock draft, We take some time to catch up with the Beers and chat about their title hopes in 2022, as well as the state of the BDL's North Division. The Inside Pod is brought to you by BDL Baseball and hosted on Captivate, our podcast home on the web. To hear content generated by the BDL Podcast Network, including the Inside Podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Downcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, if you want to interact with the show, the easiest way to do that is to give us a shout on Twitter, at BDL Inside Pod. We're out there most of the time chatting with the baseball community, and that includes you, and we would love to hear from you. So hit us up there, look us up, uh, uh, mention us, throw us a tweet, uh, say hello, and and hey, we'd like to chat. If you're interested in being on the show and just talking about fantasy baseball, we would love to have you. We just like to talk fantasy baseball. That's what we do here Uh, So connect with us. Uh, We look forward to it. So thanks for checking out the show today, guys. You are listening to the BDL Podcast Network. Crank it up because the Inside Pod is on fire. there all you fantasy baseball maniacs, especially those who call the Black Diamond League home. Thanks so much for making the Inside Podcast part of your day here in this new year. The Can Am Connection is back again for the Inside Podcast. Mike, my friend, happy new year, sir. Happy New Year, Scotty. We never rest man. Holidays, we we,
1: we, we, we just keep on working. Holiday, what's work. a holiday?
0: What's a holiday? On the inside there's no such thing as a holiday. We're, there's no such thing. We're constantly
1: no recording new th- material for everybody. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're we're doing it here in sort of a rarefied space. I uh, usually I have a, uh, a tall glass of water here next to my chair, as we uh, record these shows. And today it's a very full cup of uh, coffee. Mm. In my in my let's see what is this? Oh yeah, this is my uh, Pendleton Ruby's Inn National Park mug from Bryce Canyon. In case anyone is wondering. Um, oh, nice. But we Speak, uh, speaking
1: of coffee, Scotty, I hate coffee. And what? Uh, I hate. I can't stand coffee. I'm a terrible Italian, as I've said many times. You're so- I, I, I hate coffee. So last night, my son wanted to go get a drink at the local Tim Hortons. That's Canada's Dunkin' Donuts, I guess. Mm. Um, so and my 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 girls wanted some Tim Beebs. These are like little donuts that uh, Justin Bieber sponsors. Long story. But
0: so speaking Greek to me right now.
1: Yeah. So I, for the first time like ever, actually got a drink. All I wanted was a large tea. I had a bit of a sore throat. Give me a large tea. Two cream, two sugar. That's all I want. No problem. I get home, walk out. My son's got my tea in his hand. And he looks like, this smells like coffee. I'm like, they didn't get me a coffee, did they? They got me. They gave me a stupid coffee. Ruined my evening. I had to make my own tea. This so is just terrible. This is this is this what passes for
0: conflict in my life when they give me a coffee and <laughs> a have, have you have you never been a coffee drinker?
1: I hate this. I hate the taste of it. My son was hell bent on me having some because he's he's frigging fourteen and he loves coffee, and he's like, just try some, just to say. And his whole thing is well, you know in the past you hated, maybe you like it now. So he poured me a little bit, like an express, in, 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 in a in a small little. Uh, Espresso cup just to see if I would have some of it. Uh huh. And I took half a sip and I spit it out. I hate coffee so so much. So so I had to make my own uh-huh. so hmm.
0: I like that was my cu- evening. That's okay. <laughs> I, I like a good cup of, of hot tea too, uh, mm. at certain times of year, but I, I'm I'm definitely a coffee drinker. Um, it, my daughter's fourteen, like your son. And uh, we we are now in the in the stage of life where we can't uh, seem to pass a Starbucks um, without her wanting to swing by for an iced <laughs> mm-hmm. mocha, iced yep. mocha something or other. My um, son has had
1: everything off that menu. He loves yeah. Starbucks,
0: and I hate yeah. that place. As
1: you probably do, just because the price of that place. Well, you know, it's a coffee. I was at nine dollars.
0: What is this? <laughs> <laughs> just, Jeez, I, I, I guess here's here's why Starbucks doesn't. I hmm. I hate to just eliminate Starbucks as a potential sponsor of this show at some point okay. in the future yeah, Mike that's the point but, um, but I will say this I guess I guess I'm not I'm not so much a, a Starbucks fan simply because I prefer black coffee mm-hmm. and and you know most of your your drinks at Starbucks um, you know tend to be at least seems to be to me mm-hmm. seem to be uh, more more dessert coffees. I'm Uh, sure they'll make
1: you a $7 black
0: coffee. I'm I'm sure (laughs) they would. I'm sure they would. But uh, I will, I'll stick to my Folgers black silk.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And yeah, I just don't, you know, cream, sugar, um, any, I I just don't, I prefer just straight black, just straight black coffee. Always Mm -hmm. have. So It's a
1: pure wake up bomb for Scotty. Just a wake up bomb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. it, it, It gets, it gets the blood flowing. That's for sure. Mm hmm. I wake up wired. So like I said, I don't need to bother.
0: well, that's, that's one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, we um, kind of off our typical uh, recording schedule here. We normally record in the evenings. Um, today we are, we are sitting down for a morning session. So mm-hmm. a little different, at least for Mike and I, no different for the listener unless we just totally go off script here. And, and I don't, maybe we'll be, more wired have more energy here in the morning and this will be a four-hour show
1: uh, no it's not gonna be uh, no, <laughs> that's, that's not gonna happen
0: okay i don't think we have that
1: much stuff to talk about today.
0: <laughs> we'll just see where this path takes us mm. uh well mike i um hope uh your family not so much you but your family had a great merry christmas I uh, hope, for hope you had a good time with family. What was the uh, what was the Christmas gift that you were most proud to have given that I've this Christmas? Given. Yeah, not received. It's a good question. Uh,
1: okay, so I will. Uh, hopefully, there are no kids listening. Uh, <laughs> Santa brought one of my daughters a new iPad, and this is actually a funny story. So she's had this iPad for uh, six days now. Last night, she walks into my room and says, the speaker's not working on the iPad. I'm like, what do you mean? When I hit play, I can't hear anything. And it says the headphones are in, but they're not. And I'm like, you've had this thing for six days. You've already broken it. What (laughs) she has found a way to do is she had plugged in a headphone, and I guess it snapped. The little tip of it is stuck in the iPad now. Oh, no. So now I'm trying to figure out a way to get this thing out. I've been watching YouTube videos for the last half hour of techniques to pull this little thing out so I guess that was one of the better gifts uh my other <laughs> daughter got a foosball
0: table so I think that's was probably the coolest gift uh, so your your, your daughters have very little in common apparently
1: uh one is a princess one is a tomboy uh, <laughs> it is it's rather it is rather funny oh,
0: well, uh, what is she I like forget. is she like 11 12 yeah yep
1: yeah, yep yeah. they're 11.
0: And she asked and for it she asked for a foosball she table. She wanted a foosball table. Yeah. Now that's a she, that's a cool kid.
1: She is she is like a mini me. Uh it's it's almost comical. Uh you would you would think she was a boy. Like she's a friggin' advanced brown belt and karate. She loves going to striking class just because she gets to punch the crap out of me. Uh she's a sports freak. Uh <laughs> it's it's hilarious because my son hates sports. Absolutely sports. <laughs> the sports, and Alyssa cannot get enough of them. It is, it is, it is rather humorous to watch where, where your son is a fan of royal history, and your daughter can <laughs> can, 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 it can rhyme off the 1986 NBA draft if you asked Or Like it's it's. It's, Good for it's, her, yeah. It, it's just it's funny. Like, we'll be in this car driving, and she's like, Let's do draft trivia. What do you mean? And she'll pull up like the NBA draft from 1982 and say, Who got you know, who, who was pick six? And I'm like, I don't know, what, what team picked them? It's like this team, and what position? Okay, is this guy all right? And basically, going through every pick in the draft, it's like, Oh my god, this is this is hilarious. And this would be me if I was born in 2010. So, <laughs> it's
0: that's that's amazing. Yeah. So every Christmas, um, we sort of have this little tradition. We we will visit my wife's family on Christmas Eve and basically mm-hmm. spend the entire day. And she she has a very big family. She comes from a family of four. She is the third of four, of four sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, large, large family that will come over. Uh, to to their mom's uh, house on Christmas Eve. Now, lots uh, more more grandkids for her than I can count at this stage. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I sort of play host to a uh, well, we we just call it a blind auction. I maybe Mm -hmm. called different things and for other people who who may who may do this game. But so throughout the year, I will collect like these little oddball. Items. Some of them, some of them are just stupid little crazy items, like a little plastic cat, or uh, you know, a a container of paper clips, or uh, you know, there there will be um, more impressive gifts like uh, gift cards to popular restaurants, or or Amazon.com, or maybe Bluetooth headphones, or you know, stuff like that, mixed in with bad gifts, you know, uh, a a few sheets of toilet paper maybe. Mm. And and all of these items will be in brown lunch bags that, you know, are sealed and you cannot tell what's in them. And, and you are the, the, uh, auction participants are given, uh, you know, um, an, an amount of, of fictional, of, you know, of money, play money mm-hmm. yep. uh, to use, to, to bid with. And so they will bid on these items on these bags um, and, and have no idea what's in them. And some of the, some of the items are humorous. Some are, some are good and you just don't know what you're going to get. You might get one of the best items in the auction. That's worth a hundred dollars. You know, you might get, you know, a scrap of paper, you know, mm. it just, it just depends. So I try to have fun with it. And, um, uh the family really enjoys it so it was really funny um uh, my wife participates you know it being her family and she doesn't know what i've collected throughout the year for this for this game you know she ter- doesn't see a
1: terrible husband to be nice to I, draft what was good no, no 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 i can't yeah. do that it just
0: <laughs> just to- totally ruins the fun uh I, I do have to i do have to wink at my mother-in-law uh you know every every you know when certain bags come up, so you know she. You know she helps us out with the kids from time to time. So I need to yes. give her a little a little yep. hand signal, yep. tug on makes the sense. ear, or something makes sense. You know? <laughs> but um, beyond that, no, there's no cheating whatsoever. Mm. And uh, we, you know, gave out um, well, one of the most popular things this this uh, last year now was uh, the uh, the Mandalorian the Child Lego set, mm. uh, which one of the one of the kids won, thankfully.
1: That's a gift for Scotty, yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not no, not one of our kids. It was one. Of, it was my. Oh, one of the, my oh, okay, gotcha. My my niece oh, okay. uh, won that, so yeah, she's she's probably she probably has it strewn across her bedroom by now. But <laughs> um, anyway, um, a couple of the gag gifts that I threw in the auction this year, I thought they were kind of funny myself. One was a Funko Pop. And this Funko Pop was a Star Trek character. It was Scotty from Star Trek. Very cool. The Scotty Funko Pop. So I bagged that up. Um, I bagged that up. And the other item was a photograph of me posing beside of a rock in the Valley of Fire in Nevada. And, you know, here I am just looking all whatever. And so I I print off an 8 by 10 of this photo sign it, best wishes, Scotty, frame it, mm. put it in a bag. So, you know, I'm auctioning off an autographed photo of myself. And you know, I'm thinking, you know, my family's just going to, or, you know, my, my wife's family, they're just going to, you know, throw this out the window. You know, mm-hmm. whoever opens this, they're just going to, you know, it'll it'll be a riot. Well, lo and behold, my wife <laughs> wins both of the bags.
1: So you're stuck with this thing in your house. Good.
0: Nice. So now I have an <laughs> autographed photo of myself that my wife won mm. in my house. And... I have a Funko Pop of Scotty in my house that my wife won. Nice. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. well,
1: well, well played, Scotty. Well played. Yes.
0: Yeah. That that yeah. that one that one back that one backfired <laughs> badly, wildly. <Yeah. laughs> well played. Oh. Uh, anyway, was going to
1: turn into a, a weeks and weeks of insults from your wife. It's like – it? It's bad enough I have to look at you in person. Now I have to look at the stupid autograph photo of you.
0: Well, it it, it, it won't be as bad as as the year before, the 2020 auction, where the, the grand prize that you could win, if you were lucky enough, was a Nintendo Switch Lite. Nice. Yes, it was a good gift. The None of the children in the family at that time had a Nintendo Switch. So I thought... This will be perfect. perfect. Someone one of the kids will win this or one of the adults will win this and, and, and re gift it to one of the kids. It'll be yep. perfect. Well yep. my my child, my daughter, was the only was the only child there who current who at the time already had a Nintendo Switch. Because <laughs> we like Nintendo yep. products in the house. Yep. Well, guess who won the bag? She did. She did. So yeah. now you know what? Now we have two Nintendo Switches. <laughs>
1: now and, and and the problem is, as you said, there's so many kids, right? So yes. if she had one cousin, she could have been the greatest cousin ever and traded off that gift. But she can't very well do that when there's <laughs> 20 other kids in that room. It's like good good luck picking one, everybody.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so so now she and, and my wife, they, they have fun with those, you know, together now because they'll they'll get on. One will get on the light, one will get on the on the regular uh, Switch, mm-hmm. and they'll play Fortnite or oh, Among cool. Us or something together here in the house. Yeah. So it it, it it turned out. But, yeah, my, my daughter did not bid well this year. I was hoping she would at least come away with one of the gift cards to, like, Texas Roadhouse or something. Yep. But, nope, yep. nothing. Not yep. a no good.
1: At some but, point, you can realize this is a bad idea, right? Like, at some point, you're going to say, hey. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's got to go, though.
0: We yeah, play
1: yeah. what's the game called? White Elephant. I think my sister in law. Basically started the same to thing. Sh- yeah. yeah, same sort of thing. Yep. So uh, yeah, I think we started that a couple of years ago. For the longest time, I didn't understand what this game even was. I'd heard people talked about it. It's like, okay, we'll try it, and it's it's kind of cool, you yeah, know. It's you get to piss people off for Christmas, and that's kind of Italian tradition. So that's kind of it's kind of
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, Michael. Let's move on. Um, Certainly have some BDL Newswire news to cover mm-hmm. on this pod. Um, the Jens did I'm, it again. I, I, I'm pausing to think here. I'm This possibly the biggest trade of the offseason so far. Not necessarily in terms of the number of major league pieces involved, but when you look at the dynasty assets involved, dynasty baseball assets, and and clearly – the main attraction in this mm-hmm. package, Beau mm-hmm. Um one of, I mean, what would you say? One of probably the... Top certainly 10, a, a top top, ten oh, certainly. Oh, oh, I mean, I, I would have said probably top five or six dynasty assets. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Right when right I say now, top I 10, I mean
1: somewhere between one and 10. Sure,
0: yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah of yeah. course, yeah. Undeniably um,
1: in the top 10. Un,
0: undeniably. So one, one of the biggest fantasy assets in dynasty leagues um, today was traded, the Generals trading bow to your division rival, the Boston yeah, Double Downs. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah you you are welcome. You are welcome. It was a large package, uh, kind of a lot to unpack here. The Double Downs, just to recap, the Double Downs get uh, Bichette, Alex Verdugo, Cal Raleigh, a, a catching prospect. The Generals uh, get Tristan Casas, uh, Gunnar Henderson, Jaren Durham, Two first-round picks, one second-round pick. One of those first-round picks comes in the 2022 draft, and the other first-round pick in the 2023 draft next year. So um, we'll just start here. Your your instant take.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Is my instant. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. It, it was it was good value. Uh, I I had no issue with the trade from the general's perspective. Now, that team is just gonna be over the top horrible this year. Now there's almost nothing left on that team, but uh, but it's it's a trade uh, that makes sense. I think you're trading Bichette at his peak value. Uh, I don't think he's gonna be any better than the fifth best player in dynasty ever again in his life. Uh, he might be coming off a career year, like he, he might do this another twelve times. But uh, I think what you saw last year. Is is peak Bobesha, so I have I have no <laughs> issue with the trade. It's always interesting when you see a team trade the best prospects from the team they cheer for, and that's what happened with Kevin this time. Like he traded the Red Sox mm-hmm. with top two prospects, right? So it's always interesting when you see that dynamic. That's always kind of fun because you know it pains him. Well, two two Red Sox top top prospects and bring them,
0: and yeah, bring
1: in the J stars. That's
0: what I, I fun to watch. And, and I can tell you, and, and I don't think I don't think Kevin of the Double Downs would would mind me uh saying this. I you know, he he did not want to trade Casas,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and, and I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. But um he I you know, I insisted. That, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, uh, first of all, let me, let me back up. First of all, in, in this rebuild for Gotham city, trading Boba was never even remotely on the agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in fact, in my prior two heavy rebuilds that you have seen from the generals, I have kept uh, I have kept fantasy assets on which to build later, you know, younger mm-hmm. players, Um, you know, 24, 25, 26 year olds who will be there and still producing when the team is prepared to flip a switch or grow into its own from, uh, you know, just natural attrition, whatever the case may be. So Bo was kind of the cornerstone piece uh, for the Gens in that movement in this rebuild. Mm -hmm. I had no intention, none of trading Bo. I Uh, know I asked. (laughs) Well, you, you, and And everyone else, not, not everyone else, but I I would say I have fielded no fewer than probably 25 offers for Bichette this off season. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and and even more than that, going back to, you know, back through the the, the regular season. But once, once I pulled the trigger on the trade that sent uh, Clayton Kershaw to the beers, Early in the off season, uh, you know, folks started to see, you know, that that was sort of the signal that was, you know, Mm -hmm. I was raising the flag that, hey, this is happening. And and the the floodgates opened at that point. I started to get offers for Bo left and right, and I was batting them away left and right, because, you know, listen, if you're going to trade a Bo Bichette, you have to maximize that value. Mm -hmm. And and I had no intention of trading Bo at all, I wanted to keep him for the next phase, the next era of the general's competitiveness. Um, but you know, I looked at this package, and when you know, when I told when I told the double downs, you know, if we're going to have a serious conversation, first of all, too, let me let me say this: the double downs came to play. Mm-hmm. They Ke- they Kevin always they, does Kevin I mean Kev, I have to give Kevin props here he came I mean out of the gate he was not he was not messing around he he threw out a a a, a really good offer not one that I would accept right away but he threw out a really good offer immediately for Bichette. Mm-hmm. yep and and from that moment I knew hmm he is serious you know of all of the offers I have received for Bo this offseason this 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 is the serious one. This is, this guy means business. He wants to really consider getting something done here. So I went back to him and said, you know, so I like the base of this package, the foundation of what we're talking about here a lot, but I think KSIS is a future fantasy stud. I think he's a future star. I think he's going to man first base uh, in, in Fenway for a very long time. Kevin did not Kevin agreed and did not want to move him. He did not mm-hmm. want to move that asset whatsoever. Um, but it just was not going to get done with, without that asset. So mm-hmm. I insisted on, on Tristan, um, Gunnar Henderson, you know, probably just a tier below cases there on the, on the prospect charts. But I I do think Gunnar Henderson is, is a potential multi-time all-star in baseball as well. I, I, I love, love Gunnar Henderson, Great get for the gens. Um, I, I break this down this way, and the, the valuation is, is I'm sure different for Kevin. You may look at this differently. You know, based on on my my depth chart, what I'm looking to do for the generals. Here is what I saw. I was moving, or I did move, Bichette for Casas, Gunnar Henderson, uh, and two first round picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Alex Verdugo side, uh, Jaren Duran and the second round pick um, maybe selling a little bit low on Verdugo, but I, I don't think Alex Verdugo is, I mean, I think he's, he will continue to be a solid regular in baseball.
1: And, you, won't and a, a, you won't miss him in three years. Probably.
0: No, no, that, no.
1: That's what it comes down to.
0: And, you know, Cal and Cal Raleigh, um, fine catching prospect actually. Um, but you know, I, I have roster decisions to make anyway this offseason. season and uh, he, he did not factor into our long-term plans. So I, he was, in, from, from my point of view, a flip-in, a, flip a chip-in coming from the Gens. I don't really even factor him into the, into the valuation of this, from my eyes, that much. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think he will be a very useful Major League regular, not necessarily a fantasy star. Um, so that's, that's kind of the breakdown. Um, you know, I, I did not want to, again, did not want to trade Bo. And I, I know I saw um, a comment from the Amish GM on the on the BDL forum that said, you know, the one guy that should not have been traded in this general's rebuild was Bo Bichette. Well Yeah, in, I mean in, I kind in, of re-
1: in, in theory he's in, right.
0: Yeah. In theory in theory he's, in theory he's right. right. But you know I, I'm looking at this and thinking, you know, in Cases, in Henderson, I think in in two or three seasons, probably probably two I will have, I will say, hundred and fifty percent of Bichette's production in those two players, at least, along with the assets that are acquired in with those two first round draft picks. Yep. So, to me, you know, looking long range, in the way I am trying to engineer the future for Gotham City. Uh, even though Bo Bichette is 23 years old and he will be a fantasy stud, I'm sure for 10 more seasons. Um, it just made a lot of sense. And it was, it was too rich to pass over.
1: To be honest, this trade reminds me of the trade you made to get Bo Bichette in the first place.
0: You Similar. Got
1: Bo, you got Bo Bichette for me uh, in the trade Turner trade. And I can't remember who else was in there, but the sentiment is kind of the same. You are trading away a star shortstop in trade in trade turner. And you are getting back a future star. Now, Bo I think performed even better than any of us expected right away. And if you look back on that trade, you're probably incredibly happy with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't regret the trade. Would I rather have Bo Bichette right now? I, I might just cause he's younger, but, but that isn't a trade you regret, especially it's not a trade you regret when you're coming off two titles. But for, for you, this trade is gonna be looked at in the exact same way. In in three years, if one of those guys has turned into a star of the level of Boba Chat, you're gonna be incredibly happy with that trade. If more than that happens, you're gonna be thrilled, obviously. But if one of those guys turns into a star player, you're gonna be very happy with that trade. Um if none of those guys pan out, you're gonna you're gonna regret it, obviously. But this is the risk we make when when we make these sorts of deals, hell, if Bo rips up his knee tomorrow, Kevin will, will greatly regret the trade he just made. So, But 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 for, for total value, if you are going to trade a player like Bo Bichette, that is the kind of package that it's going to take to get it done. And Kevin, as is normally the case, when he's interested in a guy, he he comes to play with his offers. He, he doesn't screw around trying to low ball, trying to get a guy. He, he pays full price in order to get the player that he wants. And he did it again with this trade.
0: Yeah, agreed. agree. And, and staying on that with the double downs, um, you know, I, I think at this point, it's, it's very worth talking about, you know, what the future looks, the short-term future looks for that club. And this is extremely important, I know, to you mm-hmm. uh, with your Rockets playing in the same division. You know, just, just, just for a little recap, uh, the double downs have already, before this trade, already added uh, Mitch Haniger, Cal Schwarber, that's a combined 71 home runs in 2021. Um, they finished 2021 with a 580 record, losing in the first round, of course, to the eventual champion Rockets. That record was the third best in team history for the double downs in mm-hmm. 2021. Um, I, I think we have to stop and ask the question at this stage after adding, of course, Bo Bichette and and outfield depth in in Verdugo. Will twenty twenty two be Boston's best season yet?
1: Probably, yeah. It's a, they're 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 one of the probably top three or four teams in this league right now. That's that's my guess. And they were really good last year. They were they were kind of surprising last year. I think they kind of surprised themselves uh, with the season they had. I don't I don't think he was. Planning on going for it last year, but 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 some pieces came together a little quicker than he probably thought. And he's seeing his window opening up and, and he's going for it. And he's made some real dynamite trades this year. He had a lot of assets in which to sell because I think the plan was to do kind of a longer rebuild in in in, for, in his team's case. But he saw a window open up and he's gone out and he's gotten. Top quality assets and younger assets in many cases. That's certainly the case in Bo Bichette. He's He's 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the double downs are going to be really good for a long time. So, yeah, yay for me. Uh, he's, he's going to be, be, be like his lineup. If you look at it right now, he's got nine or ten guys ranked in the top 100. Just just within his batters. Like that's that's a really, really good team.
0: You know, I, of course, I think even with these moves and the acquisition of Bichette, uh, the Rockets still are the class of the East, the class of the league right now. I, I think I think these moves that the Downs are making um, really should be more concerning to the Carolina Cardinals, frankly, than to the Rockets. Not that the Downs can't push the Rockets in the division, Um Uh, You know, but but I I think the Rockets primary competition going into I don't think it's obvious primary competition going into 2022 in the division with the backstep of the disposable heroes that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, You know, we're talking about the Cardinals and the Double Downs and the Double Downs have really started to create some space. They've started to separate from that middle Midsection of of the East Division and mm-hmm. create space. I think between themselves and the Cardinals, um, and I, I think the the Cardinals GM has to be looking at this situation and thinking, "Huh, what are my counteractions?" And I, I don't know what those counteractions are. I, I have noticed that team um, publish some notes on um, their their block trade block recently. Mm-hmm. Maybe looking to to get a little aggressive, as we uh, as we enter draft time here now. But I think in the East Division and with respect to what the Double Downs are doing, that is the talking point. How how this impacts the Cardinals, not so much the Rockets.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, and I don't I don't want to sounds I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I think for the Rockets and the Double Downs and even the Cardinals. Uh, I don't want to say the regular season doesn't matter, but I think all three of us are locks from the playoffs and our seasons will be judged by the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, so whether I come first in the East or second in the East, does it, does it really matter? I would prefer to come first because I'd rather not have to face a team like Crawford in the semis or something like that. Uh, but but I think Kevin, Matt, and I are just kind of fighting for playoff seating. During the regular season. I think that's basically what the regular season is going to come down to. And I think we're going to be judged by how we perform in the playoffs. And I think Kevin is set up for a multi-year run in the playoffs. Uh, I think my team is purposely built to try to win another title this year. And if that happens, we'll try to do it again next year. But but I think his window is, is a little longer now than mine is. And I think he's the eventual kind of uh, team that's going to take over the East. And that that, that may come sooner than I want it to happen.
0: Well, Mike, before we wrap up the the Newswire, I think we should at least touch on one late-breaking trade um, that occurred uh, between division rivals, the Cardinals, the Rockets, just uh, yesterday, as we mm-hmm. record this, or, or two days ago, as as we uh, as we uh, are coming out with this here on, on the first of January, um, maybe you should. I, honestly, I've not had had time really to really analyze this trade too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you you sent um, you sent Josh Donaldson, Kenley Jansen, to the Cardinals in exchange for Matt Fraser, Jose Ramos, uh, Xavier Edwards. So you've got you know middle infielders uh, or a middle infielder, a corner, a, th- a third baseman, and Donaldson, two outfielders, a relief pitcher, kind of a lot of moving parts in this trade. Take us mm-hmm. through this real quick.
1: Uh, basically, I think this is just one where kind of roster construction really uh-huh. created a perfect trade opportunity for both both of us. Uh, we we had too many guys on our major league team. We wanted to move Josh Donaldson. He's been on the block for a little while. Uh, because we already have Manny Machado and Anthony Rendon in a third base, and we don't need a third one. And as much as I like Josh Donaldson, he's not going to play ahead of either one of those two guys. Uh, Matt made an offer uh, yesterday for him and Kenley. Uh, Kenley wasn't a guy I was as excited to move, but I did want to move one of my four relievers. And both of those guys are getting up there in age. Um, so it, it allows my team to get a little younger just by subtracting those two players off my roster. I don't think we take much of a step back with this move. Uh, we add a little more prospect capital, which, as anyone can imagine, is going to end up getting used use the trade deadline to fill whatever needs we need going into the playoff run. So it, it, was, it, it was an ideal fit, I think, for both clubs. Matt made the offer yesterday. Uh, I countered with something a little bigger, uh, and then, when thinking about it, I looked back at his original offer, and I just accepted the original offer. Because, to be honest, when 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 something makes sense, I'd, I'm not gonna fight for an extra three cents in a trade when when a deal makes sense for me. And when when, when I sat down and really thought about it some more, it really did make a lot of sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for Matt as well. He adds. An older Batten Donaldson, but one who's highly productive when he's on the fields, which hopefully for him is most of the season. And he adds a really good closer in Kenley. Like Kenley had a really good year last year, and it, and if he winds up signing with the Dodgers again, he's going to be one of the top five or six closers. And the last time he, he got a closer from me was Ryan Presley from Houston, that worked out really well for him too. So I think for him this trade makes a lot of sense. And for me, it was just more of a of of a roster fit more than anything. And I didn't want to risk having to give away something off my major league roster. If a deal didn't get made. And this seemed like fair value.
0: Good, good deal. Well, Mike, it is January. And you know what that means? The BDL off season, I guess you could say is uh, well, it's either ramping up or uh, it's, it's ramping down <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Uh, we're, we're heading into draft time, one of the most exciting points uh, in the year, I think, in the BDL. Um, and before you know it, it's going to be March. And assuming there's baseball to be played, um, it's going to be a good time. And, and it's going to be here before you know it. So we wanted to have a little fun on this episode with a BDL Round 1 mock draft presented by our friend Chris of the Malibu Bay beers, so we're gonna throw it on over to Chris for the round one mock draft right now. Okay guys, we are happy to welcome BDL mock draft specialist, author of the long-running minorly important blog series, our friend Chris of the Malibu Bay Beers. Chris, how are you doing, brother?
2: Pretty good, I appreciate you guys starting a little bit later in the morning so that it wasn't like 6 a.m. my time that you guys were recording, but appreciate that.
1: But the hell kind of lunatic wakes up
0: at 6 a.m. anyways, Chris? <laughs> Blame Canada. Yeah, sorry, guys, sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, but no, we're, we're really excited to get into this today. The BDL round one mock draft. Uh, always a fun thing to take a look at. I love January, one of my uh, most fun times of the year in the league. Of course, no baseball being played, but draft time is is just always a lot of fun, whether or not I'm participating in the draft. But uh, uh, it's it's a good time for research and and uh, just to you know kind of give you a good excuse to to track a bunch of players and, and and scribble a few on your sheet for later in the summer if you have an opening. And there are always a few that fall through the cracks. Heck. What like ten years ago, Mike Trout almost fell through the cracks in our draft. He was a fifth round, I think, fifth round pick, wasn't he? But yeah. Um, anyway, so just a few, just a few facts to set the, kind of set the table for the twenty twenty two BDL draft or round one of the of the BDL draft. The Amish Brotherhood and the Gotham City Generals uh, tie for the most first round picks in this draft. They each have four. Um, all of the teams in fact with multiple picks in the first round are currently deep into rebuild projects and only three i guess we'll say three contenders have picks in the first round the double downs the cardinals and should we include the mounties or should we throw shade and not include the mounties i'm I'm not entirely sure on that one but
2: well listen uh, i said i would crush them in the playoffs and we all know what happened so i'm going to say that yes I'm going to change my course this time and say, yes, the Mounties are, comp- are in competition.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: So, reverse psychology. Good thing. Yeah. So,
0: so three. We'll say three contenders. And, and of course, this that that statement does assume that the uh, disposable heroes of Orion uh, continue their, their sell-off as advertised. That has not quite happened yet, but um, benefit of the doubt there eh, for the time being. So um, the draft is mostly chock full of uh, – Rebuilding clubs, you know, uh, clubs stacking future assets, dynasty assets for, for later, and it's it's a really, uh, really unique draft. I think not necessarily a clear cut number one overall pick. I'm kind of glad I don't have the number one overall pick in this draft. That responsibility falls to the to the woo, Spoiler alert. Um, but it, it is a very unique draft. I think some high end talent certainly uh, within the first half of the first round, uh, beyond that, it does get a little murkier. Um, and, uh, you know, most of, most of the, uh, I guess, highly, highly projectable high end talent. Um, you're you're looking at prep players for the most part. I mean, there are some exceptions, but, uh, so that, that does add to the risk a little bit as well. So, um, an interesting draft, very, very curious to see how things play out and any other, uh, any other general thoughts about this upcoming draft before we uh, kick things off here, guys?
2: Yeah, I think from my perspective, you echoed a lot of the things that made this a challenging mock draft to put together, right? I mean, you know, yes, having two teams with four picks makes it a little bit complicated. Having really only three teams that are, you know, as you pointed out, in competition makes it interesting. You know, as it applies to you know players that are either closer or further away. I mean, obviously, there's. A mix of those but you know typically we might see a team in competition go a little bit more towards a player that's a little bit more ready and you know vice versa on the side for rebuilding teams which isn't necessarily always the case but you know definitely played into um you know the structure of this draft and then i think as you mentioned there's there's not a clear cut number one there's definitely a top tier of four to five players and then after that you know it kind of becomes a, a mixed bag of of Still high upside or safer picks, but I wouldn't say people that are, you know, slam dunk first rounders like we've seen before where you knew that, you know, 10 to 12 of these guys were absolutely going to go in the first round. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely a um, more of a mixed bag as we get into the back half of the draft, which, you know, made it interesting to put this together. And then I think the the last piece that maybe you didn't mention is obviously this international signing period where. You know, mm-hmm. it's projected to happen two days before our draft. We may we may need to look at that, right? Depending on some of the timing of these signings. Um but, you know, when these the international players, I think, sign in July, I think they get a lot of that hype that comes along with that. Whereas the players that may be out there and have the same skill level of guys that have been signed in previous Julys, since they're unsigned, aren't getting that hype. So I think it's interesting to see if you know, our owners are going to look into those players as much as they have in the past just because there haven't been a lot of those stories out there because they are unsigned um, and we'll go from there. So I have a couple of them included in the draft here, but I think they're, you know, still kind of wild cards on, you know, again, if they do get signed and, you know, to the team that they're committed to and, you know, if that happens in time for the draft and et cetera. So I think there's a lot of those questions out there that will definitely impact, you know, kind of the back half if it gets as it gets more into those, you know, wild card
0: players that are out there. Good deal. Well, um, Chris, uh, this is this is your mock, so I, I guess to a, to a large extent we're going to let you sort of drive the drive the bus here, and we can kick things off with the projected first overall pick, if we're ready to do that. That belongs to the Wrigleyville Woo, one of two picks they have in this in this uh, first round.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any need to get cute here. I mean, I think there's definitely three players that I could probably see the woo going with but i think Marcelo meyer of the boston red sox is really the right the right choice here i mean he really seemed to be the consensus uh you know kind of overall number one in a lot of the you know analysis that was put together either pre-draft or post-draft or you know as we start to get into some of the fantasy uh you know dynasty conversations and all that kind of thing i think you know there's definitely um you know, a top talent here again. I think there's a lot of players that could be considered a top talent, but I think Marcela Meyer makes a lot of sense here for the
0: Woo. Hold the phone. I thought Henry Davis was the de facto number one choice in this draft.
2: He was the number uh, well, per Joe, you mean? Or <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I'm reading on the forum.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, there's there's a lot of different angles here. You know, in terms of fantasy upside and position eligibility, all that. Kind of thing, so. uh,
0: just had to had to had to needle a little bit there.
2: Yeah. I mean, hey, you have the two of the next picks. We'll see if you're going to take Davis, right? But.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, it's a really unique draft. Um, there, there's not a clear cut number one. I think Mayer makes makes a lot of sense at number one for for the Wu. Uh, just looking at that roster, I don't think, uh, if I can pull that up quickly, I don't think they have, I want to make sure I'm not talking out of, out of school here. Um, yeah, so see no catcher. You, uh, eh. Not a great long-term catcher um solution for the Woo right now. I don't think that they're currently rostering. So it, it would make some sense maybe to move off of Mayor, but you know, when you're looking at overall, I mean, they have Joey uh, Bar. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, just pecking around. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I mean, I think you just you can't go wrong with Mayor. There there are you know I think you again you can argue two or three different players here at number one. It's a little bit situational with with uh, Wrigleyville and, and what they're trying to engineer with a rebuild. Um, but uh, you know it's it's. You know, it's it's uh, it's hard to overlook Mayor at, at that spot. Yeah, definitely.
1: When you're one one, don't get cute.
0: Exactly. Don't at the get end cute. Of
1: the day, that's all it comes down to. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know uh, who wants to take numbers two and three. Uh, of course, these two picks both belong to the Gotham City Generals. I'm sort of inclined to. Uh, uh, sit back and, and let you guys opine, um, sure. not insert mar- insert myself too much in, into these uh, next two picks is um, clearly I'm not uh, inclined to reveal too much of my You patterns. want to show your cards. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, take it away. Yeah. So for, for number
2: two, I, I have the guy, the generals going with Jordan Lawler. Um, you know, again, I think this pick makes a lot of sense. I would say that you know, he has a very similar profile to Mayer, um, you know, maybe a little bit less consistency, but, you know, I still think has that that very strong profile at shortstop, may even have a little bit better speed, um, you know, but really, I think these two guys are, you know, pretty much very similar, you know, again, you know, we talked about it not being a clear cut number one. So I think Jordan Lawler is definitely the number two pick and, you know, a pretty safe bet. I mean, like I said, obviously with, with these younger, uh, you know, younger prospects, there's still always risk involved, but you know, I think some of these guys that they've been talking about at the top should at least have a little bit more, uh, you know, clear path to the majors, even if they are young.
1: Got any thoughts on that, Scotty? Uh,
0: zero thoughts. I have zero,
1: zero thought. thoughts. <laughs> zero thoughts. I figured this would be one of the two guys uh, that Chris had you picking. You're you this two three uh, wheel, if you will. It'll be interesting to see who who has at number three.
2: Yeah. So number three, still the generals. Um, this was probably one of the picks that I've shifted around the most as I was working through this. And I think uh, I ultimately settled on the player that I had the generals taking here simply because of the depth at this position at the rest of the first round, at least from from my perspective. Uh, so I do have the generals taking Jack Leiter at number three. Um, you know, listen, there's definitely some premium talent still on the board at, you know, that shortstop position. Um you know, obviously, they just kind of address that through Lawler, and I just think that you know, looking at the rest of the picks that the Generals have, um, you know, pitching might be a challenge finding you know pitching that slots into their later round picks. So I think adding a, a relatively safe pitcher. I mean, obviously, it's it's hard to it's hard to say that for any pitching prospect, but you know, Lighter's profile is pretty much the safest that I've seen in a very long time from a pitching prospect perspective. So I think you know, using a high pick. Might seem like a little bit of a risk on a pitcher, but if it's going to be a certain pitcher, I think this profile is the one to, to lock up. And I just know that, you know, looking at pitchers in the rest of this round, um, I had a challenge finding the right ones. So I think this might be, make a lot of sense here to combine with Lawler and then obviously with the picks that we go with later in the draft.
1: I could, I could definitely see this happening. I think it'll come down to him or Davis. Or does he go crazy and get another shortstop? But I think it'll be him or Davis, which makes me wonder if Joe is trying to play chess when everyone else is playing checkers. Is this whole Henry Davis should be the number one pick thing kind of thrown out there as a red herring, trying to get somebody to pick him? Maybe he's got his eye on somebody else. But then I think to myself, no, it's Joe. There's no way he's doing that. Uh, so, yeah, I could can, I, I can, I can definitely see, see uh, Scotty ending up with these two players at 2-3.
2: I think you guys are definitely going to be interested to see where I have Davis going then. So, <laughs> so let's uh, let's continue on. And that's with the Wrigleyville woo at number four. Um, I think truthfully, this is a, this is going to be a great pick. I mean, I know that, you know, we just talked about taking lighter made sense for the generals, but I have Khalil Watson going to the woo at four. Um, to me, yes, they have mayor, you know, in that number one spot, which is a future short, shortstop. And so is Watson. But I mean, I think when I've looked at the Woo's draft in the past, I think they usually go for best available player. And I definitely think Watson fits that build. Um, you know, probably a little bit more risk compared to, to Mayer and Lawler. That's why I have him going, you know, kind of third out of that group. But, um, you know, he probably has, you know, maybe even a little bit of an offensive, pro, you know, better offensive profile, definitely better athleticism. Um, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to stick at shortstop, from what I've been reading. and Meaning, not that they have to move him off, but he definitely has the ability to play at those other positions. So, you know, I think the Wu just looking for, you know, really a, a premium talent that has a good chance to reach his upside is, is a good good pick there. So, I don't know. thoughts on he that? He was one? the
1: kid yeah. that fell that fell to like pick fifteen or sixteen in the draft because they Correct. thought he was going to college, right? That's the guy. Correct. You were talking about. Okay. Yeah. Best pure hitter in the draft, if I remember correctly. I
2: feel like they is say that, that for everybody, but yes. Yeah. I mean, I, that
0: was I, the on him. I think that's arguable, but but right. very 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 good hitter. I mean, certainly yeah. one among among the best hitters in the draft for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think you know the placement of Watson is really one of the big question marks of this draft. You know, once you get beyond the first few picks and. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just like you mentioned, um, you know, uh, investing in a, in a pitcher that high, like lighter at number two or number three, um, you know, not a lot of teams were willing to do that. Nope. And I think it, if that happens, that does change the complexion of sort of that middle, that midsection of the first half of the draft a lot. Uh, it really creates a domino effect. So we we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out, but yeah, if if can walk away from this draft with both Mayor and Watson, uh, I, I mean, I th- I think that's a boon for the Woo. Um, I think too, you know, maybe you know, with with Davis at that premium position of catcher, that's that's sort of a reason to take maybe Mayer at at number one and, and watch potentially a, a Davis type fall to four. So I'm, I'm not sure if I you know, if I was in those shoes, uh, that Watson would necessarily be my pick. But again, when, if you're talking just strictly best player available, best player on the board value, then uh, then yeah, Watson makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. So number five. Um, so I think to me, this is probably my clear cut top five on who I would go with, you know, in terms of the four that I've mentioned along with this player. Um, Again, not Henry Davis. So I have the Amish selecting Brady House at number five. Um, I think this is a, you know, a lot different profile than the three shortstops that we've mentioned previously. I mean, I think, you know, the three previous shortstops have been, you know, high athleticism, speed profiles, that kind of thing. I think House is really more of that power profile. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. may stick at shortstop, probably move to third based on a lot of what I read. Um, And I think one of the comparisons that I saw was uh, a more athletic version of Joey Gallo. So (laughs) to me, that's a pretty appealing, uh, you know, a pretty appealing uh, characteristic in a, uh, you know, in a fantasy prospect, right? So I think, again, as being a fantasy draft, you know, I have have House uh, going off the board at number
0: five. Yeah, and I think, you know, with House... um... He he is not a long term shortstop. I know Brady House no. wants to wants to stay at shortstop. I, he has it has expressed that to the Nationals from what I have read. Um, I, you know I just don't think the profile fits there long term. He's more than likely destined for third base, possibly even um, a corner outfield slot. I mean he has a great arm. He has a cannon, um, and I think would make a lot of sense in, in the outfield too. But probably probably destined for third base. Um, I don't know that House really fits the profile for what for what the Amish Brotherhood um, would typically take in a draft like this. Uh, I think um, I think he slotted well at five. I, I guess I would just personally be surprised if the Amish walk away with House if that's their choice.
2: Yeah, and I think the 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 thing to remember with that, Scotty, is that they have three picks after this too. Right. Yeah, so, and I sure. think that was you know something I was trying to keep in mind as I go through this knowing I don't think house makes it to his eighth pick right so
0: no no way no way
2: right so I think I looked at it more of again a best available perspective very strong you know fantasy asset um and can address you know kind of different needs as we go through the rest of the first round for them if it was their only first round pick that might have changed you know some of the thought process there yeah for sure So next up, we have the Vipers at sixth. And I'll admit, I mean, for the next two picks, the Vipers and the Lions, I mean, I don't have a lot of history, uh, you know, with those guys in terms of their draft tendencies or anything like that. Um, You know, tried to take a look at both of their teams a little bit and assess, you know, maybe some a little bit from needs and a little bit from, um, you know, just even what their strategy might be going into the year. So tried to take a look at that. Um, So at number six, I have the Vipers taking Jackson Job. Um, you know, again, to me, this is where the tier kind of falls off a bit. Not that I don't like Job, but I think to me, as I said, I think I had a clear uh, one through five that I would have wanted had I been selecting in that range. Um, and I think Job is kind of a, a tier down from that. But, you know, still a really good you know prospect, obviously carries more risk being a high school pitcher. Um, but as I read about Job, I mean, listen, they're, they're really raving about his slider and his changeup. So, from my perspective, to kind of hear that about a high school pitcher is a lot better than he just has a fastball. He just has a fastball. He just has a fastball, which is what we hear from a lot of those a lot of those prospects. So, you know, I think I think Job is a, a very interesting high upside pick for the Vipers, which is kind of why I went for that for them, as kind of shooting for the fences there.
0: Right, and and, and for sure, at, at pick number six, this is where this draft I think starts to get very. Uh, complicated yeah. um, it, it's it's difficult to i mean you, you could you could put you could have put really one of probably five or six or seven players at, at number six here with the vipers um I really like job and I think uh, just as you, of course you mentioned lighter is certainly the safest arm in this draft i think job, uh, without question has the highest upside of any arm in this draft. He's very young. That's where, that's where the risk comes from. Absolutely. Um, you know, he of course still, still a teenager. He's got a long way to go to reach, um, to reach the major leagues. But um, I think that profile, uh, the Jackson Joe profile, you know, you, you're really, you're really talking about potentially a future frontline starter. And I I do believe that Jack Leiter will be a very good, very useful major leaguer. He'll be a very useful fantasy asset. Um, I, I I'm not sure he's I'm not sure he's a frontline ace. You know, yeah, and he strikes but... me as more more of a maybe a, a number two or a very good number three in the major leagues. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Job, if he reaches his full potential, I mean, I think we're looking at, a you know, potentially a, a, a young Kershaw type pitcher.
2: Sure. Yeah, and I think what you touched on is the difference between those two players, right? Meaning in terms of, you know, draft strategies. Do you want the guy that has a, you know, 75% chance to be a number two starter or a guy that has a 30% chance to be a number one starter? Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah but and, 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 and again, you know lighter has the pedigree you know yep. the, the Vanderbilt pedigree, uh, the proven track record um, you, you, you can't take in my opinion, you can't take a, a Jackson job at number two or number three in this draft. Right. Uh, you, you you can and probably should take a jack lighter. However, I think at number six uh, job is slots really well for the vipers.
2: Yeah. And there's definitely some safer picks to the round as we go through it, maybe not necessarily at the pitching ranks. And I think that's just where, you know, again, as I mentioned with lighter, the challenge came in of, of trying to find where some of these pitchers were going to slot in just because there isn't as many of them as I think there's been in the past of ones that, you know, right. I would personally take, uh, you know, in that first round. So, so similarly with number seven, the Graysview Lions, again, don't have as much of a, a kind of a draft history with them. Um, and there's definitely some safer picks on the board here, but I actually, and this is one of the, the picks I was just kind of tweaking around with as we uh, were getting started here. I have them taking Benny Montgomery from the Rockies. Mm. Um, again, another high upside pick, and there's definitely some safer outfielders out there as we'll see in these next couple of picks. Um, but I mean, to me, good speed, raw power, good defender. Mm. You know, I've really heard a lot of good things about him and will be playing in Coors Field. So I think, yep. <laughs> you know, a lot of those things combined together, I think, gives him a very high fantasy upside. Again, similar to what I mentioned with Job. you know, there's definitely risk in that profile. Um, but I think he has a much higher ceiling than a lot of the other outfield prospects that I do have the rest of this round. So, you know, again, it really depends sure. on whether Gray's view is going to go high upside, high risk or, you know, more of a, a known quantity. But um, if they do are looking for upside, I think Montgomery is a good choice at number
0: seven. Without question, if Montgomery did happen to fall to 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 later in in round one, which I do think is possible for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. uh, the team the team that grabs them later, uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, you know stubbing their toe on a on a on a piece of gold that <laughs> that late late in round one. You, you mentioned you know good speed. Um, <laughs> Most sources uh, rate Montgomery's speed, raw speed, at between seventy and eighty on the on the eighty scale. So, you a little bit, you know, almost elite. as fast
1: as me, Scotty. Almost. As fast as me. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I, M- Montgomery can grow into um, I- into just a, an incredible fantasy asset in a few years. Again, we're talking about you know a, you know high school level players. Uh, or n- not anymore, but still a teenager has a long way to go, long road to go to get to the major leagues. But um, the the ceiling for Montgomery is much higher um, than than most players in this draft for sure.
1: And, yep. and he's certainly in the right park. Like pitchers drafted by the Rockies typically get knocked down our board quite a bit, and it w- it would only make sense that the opposite would be true for Harris.
2: Yeah. So the pick you've all been waiting for, at number eight. Uh, I do have (laughs) the the brotherhood going with Henry Davis. Um, You know, I think at least for me, one of the reasons that I've seen him slip, at least in my mind, a couple of these picks is because I think a lot of these teams, even you could argue all of these teams, really have had, you know, or have a, you know, a solution at catcher in terms of a long-term, you know, high-level prospect. Obviously, the, the brotherhood have that as well in Francisco, San Francisco Alvarez, but, you know, I think there's kind of a point where, you know, having another catcher doesn't necessarily prohibit you from drafting Henry Davis, given, you know, the profile that's out there and, you know, really the investment that's been made in him. Um, You know, again, I think there's great defensive skills, great, great, um, you know, makeup as terms of a catcher. I, I think, you know, he can probably stick a catcher and, you know, I think he has a higher offensive profile than most catchers. I just think that's, that's a little bit of a knock sometimes too, because it may mean that he doesn't have, necessarily as high of an upside as um you know some other position players that are still left on the board here but you know i he i don't see him necessarily maybe falling this far i mean i think to the point that i've just made i've kind of you know had two higher you know higher upside players go at six and seven but wouldn't shock me to see davis go with either of those picks um and i think it'll be interesting to see a if he makes it to eight and and if joe does take him at eight or if he falls further, just given, you know, kind of some of the history of most of the catchers, you know, that that kind of are available in the first round of our BDL draft. We've really only seen the elite elite go, you know, really towards the hot towards the top. So, you know, having him at eight seemed kind of kind of seemed like a punt, meaning I have him right in the middle in terms of not in the top, not in the bottom. So that's kind of was part of my my methodology here.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. Like there there, there are a number of teams they just don't draft catchers. Is it Scott that just has a full out hatred <laughs> of, of drafting catchers ever? I, I remember I drafted uh, it was Stevenson in the third round a couple of years back, and he went off like I just drafted a guy who died the day before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, 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 there are a number of teams that are just predisposed to not draft catchers. The, the history of the MLB draft gives you a perfectly good reason for it. Like there's Buster Posey and there's Joe Maurer. And there aren't a lot of other ones that have been high picks that have turned out to be stars. Like in in, in the time I've been in the league, there was Matt Readers who was talked up like he was going to be the greatest player in the history of the world. And he turned out to just be okay. The only guy on my team that I remember, and I'm not even sure if I drafted him, was Jeff Clement, who was also a Pirates prospect, and he turned out to be a whole lot of nothing. So you know, I think there's that there is there is a reason to be very cautious when when drafting catchers, particularly in the first round. But but if this guy drops this far, I, I think I think the Amish will grab him certainly.
2: Yeah. So. Number nine, uh, Cardinals pick. Um, I have them going with Colton Kowser here of the Orioles. Um, You know, I think Kowser has done a lot to kind of improve, uh, you know, his, his draft status, I would say, over the last, you know, kind of year or so. I mean, I think, you know, from the perspective that I have on the Cardinals, obviously they're, you know, a team that's in competition, and I think it makes sense for them to go, you know, after a college bat that can probably provide, you know, some benefit to them sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, I would say Kowser probably doesn't have the high upside that, you know, a Montgomery has, but, you know, definitely, again, getting back into that lighter job conversation has, you know, at least the chance, a higher probability of, of being able to contribute, uh, you know, at the plate. Uh, and I think the Orioles is a pretty good landing spot for him. So, you know, I think Kowser's is, again, a strong pick, may not be have the highest upside, but I think, you know, uh, somebody that can, you know, really help out the Cardinals sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, I think, I think, the, the, the selection of Kowser really is one of the hinge points of this BDL draft round one draft uh, this year um, wherever he goes um, it, it I think it'll create a, a bit of a domino effect to um, to impact several picks below and just as you mentioned Chris you know Kouser, is a very intriguing prospect. Um, great college bat, very advanced bat. I think we'll move quickly through the minors, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as you mentioned, probably will help the Cardinals here at number nine, um, fairly quickly, uh, relatively speaking. Um, you know, the concern is the upside, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and will he ever really display enough power? Um, to be an elite fantasy asset that I'm unsure of. And I I think if, if that power had already been more on display, uh, we would be talking about Kowser as a top four pick in this draft at, at, at minimum um, four. So yeah, very, very interesting prospect, very intriguing prospect. Um, Probably slots pretty well at number nine.
2: Yeah. And I think, again, this is also the point in the draft where it does come down to there aren't there aren't really a blend of safe guys with upside, right? <laughs> so you either have to get mm-hmm. the safe guy that, you know, may have a little bit lower ceiling or the guy that is going to be, you know, very, very risky but have high upside. Again, you know, at this point in the draft, I mean, sometimes we see a lot more depth where you feel comfortable with a guy's risk profile and his upside. But I think we're starting to get to a point where you have to choose between one of those things. Either you're going to get a guy that, you know, is relatively safe, or you're going to get a guy that is very, very unsafe. And I think you'll see that with the the next couple of picks is that I think there's, you know, kind of that mix out there of, uh, you know, that you're going to have to choose from. So the generals are back on the board at number 10. Uh, I have them taking Sal Freelich from the Milwaukee Brewers. Again, someone very similar to Kowser. So I think those two guys are, are, you know, very similar to each other in terms of being, you know, more uh, advanced college bats. Uh, you know, I think going to Milwaukee is a good place for Freelich, although he doesn't necessarily have, uh, again, a power profile similar to Kauser. Um, You know, I think he's somebody that profiles as a very athletic, you know, again, easy speed, you know, very good hitting uh, outfield prospect, uh, again, that can probably move uh, quicker through the minor league system. Um you know again that may not necessarily be a desire of the generals in terms of having somebody that's that's mlb ready very very soon but but on the flip side of that i mean looking at it combined with you know kind of lawler a you know high upside more risky you know profile obviously lighter is is more of a safer profile uh freelick is more of a safer profile um you know we can kind of see where that goes from there but i think you know adding that college bat to the high school bat and the college arm uh you know could make a lot of sense
1: I can see, I, I can see that happening. And for the gens, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to take players that are a little closer to the bigs, just because mm-hmm. at some there's point never in been the future, a future long rebuild, right? Yeah, where well, it, it's it be beyond that, they have a lot of picks this year and a lot of picks next year. Yeah, and I, I think those minor league spots on his roster are gonna be kind of premium spots for them to hold on to. So if they can get players that can move up to the bigs a little quicker, that that, that, that I think would be of yes. some help to them going forward.
2: And I know this is funny to say about a first round pick, and maybe I don't apply it to all first round picks. Let's say this is maybe a, a later round logic, but taking a guy like this, at least you know in the next year or two whether or not he's going to be somebody that you want to continue to own. Right. Yes. And I think that's what you kind of talked about with you know premium roster spots. Again, I don't necessarily like to say that from a first round because it's not great if a year and a half from now, you decide that, you know, a guy shouldn't be owned. But on the flip side of that, you can take some of these guys that you have for four years and then find out they shouldn't be owned. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, because
1: because yeah. when you're rebuilding, those roster spots have a lot of value, exactly. especially those yeah. minor league spots. Yep. So the last thing you want to be doing is is basically kind of squatting on a spot for four or five years and you end up getting nothing out of it, like you would much prefer to know that sooner rather than later if the guy's going to be a player or not.
2: Yep. So the next pick is the Mounties, and again, another team that I don't necessarily have a long track record of understanding draft tendencies. Um, I'm actually going to have them kind of dip their toe into the international pool for the first time in this draft. So I, I have them selecting Roderick Urias. Um, you know, again, a shortstop unsigned as of now, potentially, you know, committed to the Yankees. Um, not that the Yankees don't have a lot of, you know, <laughs> shortstop <laughs> prospects, but, you know, I think he was really, you know, from what I was kind of reading through, kind of the consensus number one international this year, uh, again, you know, really high upside. And I think it's just going to depend on, on what the Mounties are looking to do. I mean, obviously they are one of the teams that are, you know, could be in competition you know, should be in competition this year. So potentially they, you know, try to go in a different direction with, you know, maybe a safer pick. But, you know, I think at number 11, you know, given kind of the players that are left on the board, um, you know, I think going after, you know, again, who could, you know, You read anybody that anything says could potentially be the highest, you know, the best best player to be drafted in this draft, you know, from an international Mm -hmm. perspective. So, you know, you never know how that's going to work out. But I think, you know, at number 11, given the players that are left on the board from an upside perspective, Mm -hmm. um, might be an interesting point to see uh, some of the international players start to go off the board. Um, You know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, and Mike, as you and I were talking, uh, you know, a little bit earlier, it's just going to be interesting to see if these guys get as much attention in the BDL draft this year, just because of that delayed signing period. Um, so, you know, if the guys are on top of, you know, reading about them before they're signed, we may see some of these guys go if, if, uh, you know, there's been more coverage of the guys in the draft versus the international prospects, we may see some of these guys fall into the second and third round. So definitely be interesting to see, you know, what the tendencies are given this, you know, kind of delayed, uh, you know, signing period in January.
1: Yeah, and I think this pick might be the hardest one to really guess because while this is Steven's second draft in the BDL, I think he only had like one late pick in last year's draft. So mm-hmm. so we, we won't have much of a window into how he drafts. So it's kind of hard to know what what what, yeah. what direction he, he would be likely to go, but but if this guy is signed, I think this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, At spot 11, if he's on the board, I
0: can see him going here. Yep. Oh, looky, we're back to me at number 12. How many books do you have, Scotty? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Number 12 with the generals. So this is actually the player that I was debating moving into the 11 spot uh, for the Mounties and ultimately ended up settling on him at number 12. So surprise, surprise, I have another catcher going. <laughs> so I have the general selecting Harry Ford here. And, you know, I think this is a very interesting pick. Um, you know, I think unlike Davis, I don't know that there's necessarily the future at the at the catcher position for Ford. I think the Mariners are absolutely going to give him a chance to, to stick there. But I think, if anything, um, you know, Ford, from what I've been, you know, kind of researching, has the ability to really play a lot of different positions and i think the fact that they feel he has the offensive upside to do that you know really speaks to some positive aspects that may be out there right i mean you know it's not necessarily that you're taking him and saying he has to stick a catcher in order for him to pay off they're saying let's take him he has a very good offensive profile he may stick a catcher but even if he doesn't he really has you know the ability to play at a lot of different positions over the field so you know i think they were looking for just really a high upside player that has a lot of versatility, which I think is very intriguing and interesting in a fantasy perspective. Again, he's listed a catcher, you know, yes, he would be a premium in that position, but even if he doesn't pan out at that, he seems on the safer side of a player like this to find somewhere to play, given his offensive uh, profile and athleticism. If
1: he wants to play for the Gens, he better find another spot.
2: Uh, exactly. But, well, and I mean, listen, we all know that Scotty's not going to keep all the prospects that he drafts here anyway, too, right? So that's kind of why... How do you know? How right do okay. you know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think looking, again, this is mainly based on the players that are left. I think there's maybe one other player that I could see the gens going with that I have later in this first round. But I think um you know just taking again you know kind of going to a best available piece and seeing where things shake out I think is a good thing now again the gens could want to spread it out and maybe go you know back to the pitching well um but again to me it was a challenge to kind of find the right uh pitchers to kind of slot in at some of these places here but again we're at a point where it's hard to necessarily make a quote unquote bad choice I think it more just comes down to personal potential and I'll probably put that caveat out there for the rest of the rest of the picks that I have out here in this draft
1: I think for this, if 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 if, if it's possible, Scott, if you can get Joe on the line just to tell us who she's picking at twelve, that would be quite that would be quite helpful. Yeah.
0: Moving on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so number thirteen, the double downs are up. Um, this was an interesting one for me, and I, I again played around with this one a lot. Um, I have them going with Oscar Kolos, again, another international prospect, uh, you know, potentially signing with the Chicago White Sox, you know, listed as an outfielder, also as a pitcher. Um, He is 23, so he's not, you know, one of the younger guys. He's more of a known quantity. Um, And again, looking at, you know, Kevin's past history, I think he, you know, a lot of times drafts, uh, you know, for the current state of his team. And I think if anything, this is probably the you know, the number one player outside of if, you know, Suzuki signs that, you know, would contribute, you know, potentially now. Um, You know, I think the other thing that I was reading is that, uh, you know, Colas has been nicknamed the Cuban Otani. And I figured, you know, who better to draft the Cuban Otani than the person that drafted the first Otani. So, you know, I thought that was an interesting connection. But I think definitely an interesting thought here for the double downs. I mean, this is a player that could slip, you know, relatively far in this draft if the right person doesn't go after him. But, you know, I think somebody that's looking to compete now, assuming Kolos signs, this could be an interesting addition to a team that is looking to compete now. I'll take the silence as you guys don't even know who this person is, but
1: I I, I know (laughs) who he is. Just just the fact that they would get another player of of the caliber
2: of Otani makes me, uh, (laughs) <laughs> i didn't say he was going to be the next otani <laughs>
1: well, that's that's what they're calling him so i'm just saying what I, his nickname I, I
2: know, his but, nickname but, but, is
1: but, but as we know this with these international guys yeah. every time these guys make a comp that's exactly what happens to these players they're, they're, <laughs> there's never a time these guys that these guys do not live up to the hype that they get never does that
2: happen. <laughs> never and again a very interesting one, you know. I, I threw this out there. It's it's coming down to personal preference. I think this is an interesting pick for Kevin, but there's obviously plenty of other players on the board that have, you know, either a, again, a high upside in terms of a, you know, high school player or you know, more of a safer profile from you know college, uh, you know, college ranks.
1: Everything that, that I, I, I've I've picked up on this guy, and again, it's not a whole lot. Had him ranked like four or five within the uh, within the top guys. Yep to be signed internationally when when you made this pick for kevin was this more of uh of a a need pick was this just more because he's the type of guy you see him picking or is this how you would rank him versus the other international guys
2: type of guy i would see him picking i don't have him as my number two international off the board um in terms of my ranks but um i think it made sense based on the profile but again Really comes down to preference here, and like I said, I you know could see Colas falling, you know, later in this draft. But I think if the right team targets him, I think it's an interesting choice. And again, yeah. all comes down to whether or not all these guys sign in time for this. Of course. Getting so down a, to the wire. <laughs> so we have the Brotherhood up with the fourteenth pick, uh, and I have them going with another international guy. Uh, what a shocker!
1: How <laughs> much <laughs> international guy.
2: Yes. Yeah. I have them going with Christian Vaccaro and I think, yeah. you know, to me I would rank Vaccaro higher than Colos if I was just ranking a strict, you know, you know, potential list. But again, you know, given the fact that Colos is 23, that's why I kind of, you know, had a team in competition going after him. Vaccaro is a guy that obviously you're going to have to wait on a very long time. Um, you know, five perfect. years. Per- perfect potential. for Joe. Yeah. Perfect but but Joe. again, five
1: years is just about when he'll be good. So that makes perfect <laughs>
2: sense. But again, you know, immense upside, right? You know, potential five-tool player. I mean, you really look at all... all It checks all the boxes there. And again, you know, with the players that are left on the board here, um, you know, again, probably some of the highest upside that you'll see just depends on whether or not you're willing to take the risk and invest the time. So I think that's what it comes down to on on Vaquero is really just that aspect. But, you know, could be a huge payoff. But, you know, we won't know that for, you know, five years.
0: (laughs) I think Vaquero is... The Brotherhood's number five choice, number five overall. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah.
1: That would be so Joe. <laughs>
0: that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. That Mike. would be so Joe to do that.
2: Well, if everything falls out this way, he can just wait on them. So,
1: <laughs> true. I think Joe's gonna draft his twelve year old brother, you know, two rounds later, Vicaro's brother <laughs> Julio or whatever the hell his name is, I don't know his name yep.
2: <laughs> So pick pick fifteen was definitely an interesting one for me. I mean, obviously now the disposable heroes having you know, Bill having a potential a different direction, you know, based on what we heard from him, that could mean I'm gonna take a guy that is again gonna be a long-term asset, somebody that we may not know about for the next you know, five years, similar to what we just talked about with Vicarra or something like that. But I, I actually maybe punted a little bit on this one as well. So I have them taking Matt McLean, uh, shortstop from the Reds. And I did that because, listen, it's still a prospect, but I think it's, again, somebody that has a little bit more of a clear path, um, you know, to the majors. So, you know, maybe not necessarily going all the way in one direction to a full, full rebuild where I'm going to get guys that aren't going to contribute for, you know, several years. I went with somebody that I think, you know, again, that has maybe not the highest of ceilings, but again, a safe floor for, you know, a pick that won't amount to nothing for the, you know, for the, for the heroes down the road. I almost called them the damage.
1: they <laughs> still the damage. They will always be the damage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, but I like McLean. I mean, I think, you know, he's somebody that I think I would choose in this second half of the draft. And again, still, would go uh, you know him over the some of the pitchers that are out there but again you know it's really going to come down to preference in terms of uh you know willing to take the risk looking for a guy that has a safer floor or even potentially dipping into this kind of some of the pitcher ranks that are still still a lot of them out there
0: so sure sure yeah, yeah I can see that it's a very reasonable reasonable slot for McCain I think McCain was ranked uh, within the, Uh Tim <laughs> guy yes yeah <laughs> sorry. Yeah, within the um I think he was a top he was top 10 in Baseball America's draft prospects list if I'm not mistaken. So um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and again
2: with Baseball America, I mean not nothing against that publication, that's more of a real life, you know, kind sure, of sure. kind of ranking and I think, you know, still kind of combining that with with the fantasy side. I mean, I think Oh know, yeah. still a, still a valid a valid pick, but I think that's why I had him slide down a little bit more just mainly because it is that, you know, defensive profile that I think was, was building him up. But um, that's kind of why I I mentioned, you know, it's still a safer pick clear path to the majors can play a lot of different positions, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and still has, still has upside still has pop, but um, you know, definitely a pick that again, you know, may not be the best player to come out of this draft, but again, has a higher probability of, you know, maybe out of the last, five picks or so to, you know, contributing, um, contributing in the majors.
1: Well, let's hope he's a bust if Bill drives him.
2: (laughs) And then to round it out, we have the last pick from the brotherhood. Um, again, you know, I, I really could have seen a lot of different names going here. Uh, you know, based on some of the feedback that I got in those, you know, polls that I put out there, I did try to squeeze another pitcher into the round here. Um, You know, listen, there were quite a few that I could have went after. I mean, you know, Williams from Cleveland, Hogland, Bednar, uh, you know, all those were names I considered to kind of round out this draft. But I ended up going with uh, Andrew Painter. Um, You know, I don't traditionally love Phillies prospects just because I'm (laughs) maybe a little bit of a hater on my own team when they draft draft player. But, you know, the profile for Painter is very interesting, Um, you know. uh, he has very high upside. He really has four legitimate pitches and you know really a large frame. So, you know, I could see him really turning into one of the best pitchers from this class. Um, definitely safer pitchers out there. You know, again, you know, I, I actually view Painter as a similar profile to Job, um, but again, you know, maybe more risk at achieving that upside than Job, which is why I have him down here as opposed to up where I projected Job to go. So definitely a lot of different directions. Um the brotherhood can go. And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, maybe, you know, high ceiling pitchers versus even low, you know, high floor pitchers. But, um, you know, there's definitely quite a few pitchers that I think could go 17 through, you know, 22, let's call it as we look at the second round. But, you know, to Mm -hmm. round out the first, I, uh, you know, chose one (laughs) of them, dartboard.
0: Yeah. Very, very telling in this draft. We're projecting what? Three, Am I looking at that right? Three arms yep. among 15, uh, 16 picks. So, And I yeah, squeezed the third one in there. <laughs> very uh, very position player heavy draft. Um, Definitely.
1: Yeah, more shortstops than pitchers.
0: Yeah. 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 Heavy shortstop class for sure. Uh, for sure.
2: And I think uh, there are a lot of pitchers that will get drafted in this draft, right? I just think it's representative in terms of, you know, I think there's a lot of them lumped together, which I think in my book was kind of, you know, bringing them down the lists a bit, right. There wasn't necessarily a lot of the guys that, uh, you know, separated themselves. And I think, you know, obviously the Kumar rocker piece would have definitely added another picture to this had he signed, which I think might've changed a little bit of the structure of this draft, but mm-hmm. you know, I agree. But given the fact that I think a lot of them are lumped together, you know, hopefully there's some value that can be had as we get into the second and third, because you know, you may be picking from five pitchers that have very similar profiles. One may go in the end of the first, and another may go in the top of the third, and they may end up being the same guy. So, definitely an interesting, um, you know, perspective from there that there wasn't necessarily those guys that have separated themselves. But um, what
1: is kind of interesting, Chris, is the actual MLB draft this year was pretty evenly split, hitter, mm-hmm. hitter, pitcher. Yep. Uh, I think there's one guy. One picture that was picked in the top 10, um, uh, uh, what's the name? Sam Bachman, the Angels, right? Mm-hmm. He was picked in the top 10. But when, when you look at fantasy rankings, he, he's nowhere to be found in like the top yep. 10 or 15, which is... Reliever profile. Oh, okay. And that's what it is? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean,
2: he could be a starter, um, but I think he has a very strong reliever profile, which dropped him down my list a bit. I mean, I still expect him to get to get taken. Um, but obviously there's a, there's a, there's a risk that he gets moved over to relief, which, yeah. you know, I think to me drops him out of my first round conversation. Now, yeah. you know, if somebody else has a different perspective on that, then, you know, definitely all about it, but that's kind of why I didn't have him as, as consideration for the end of that first round pick there, but, you know, still could be a anytime, good player, and could be someone that's reliever make
1: profile. It. yeah. Right. Anytime. Anytime those words come up with a prospect yeah. when they say he, he looks to be a reliever. I almost immediately just scratched them off my list. Yeah. again, I don't know
2: that they need to be scratched off, but I think there needs to be, you know, consideration when you're spending, you know, high-end draft capital and that kind of
1: Mm -hmm. thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, there's, there's a lot of those guys out there. I mean, you know, seventh overall was, you know, Frank Mazzucato. I mean, there's still potential in a lot of these guys. I mean, you know, they were further down the ranks and I think they, you know, obviously will get taken given, where they were drafted but you know I think there's quite a few pitchers again that we'll see go in that second and third round but you know to me there wasn't necessarily a standout guy that I had to get you know if I had a late first round pick on on you know from the pitcher ranks makes
0: sense Well Mike any uh, any closing any closing thoughts on the mock draft
1: no, no, I, I think, I think Chris has pretty much got this nailed as far as, not, I, wouldn't say the exact order. Obviously, that would be impossible, but, <laughs> but for the way this is going to lay out, I think he's got this about right. I think he's got the right international guys going. It, it will be interesting to see where Davis ends up getting picked. He, he has him going eight. It's going to be interesting to see. If if he falls that far, I'm sure Joe will be very happy to take a mate. But I, I could see him going a lot earlier and kind of really messing things up. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's one thing to watch. And then I think the other thing to watch is just there, there are so few pitchers in this draft. It'll be it. I, 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 for the two or three guys that go early, it'll be interesting to see if they get pushed up even higher because of how few high-end arms there are.
0: Agreed. Well, Chris, before we let you go, just want to catch up with the beers a little bit if we have a few minutes. And sure, I'd like to start with the kind of, I guess, the headline news for your club right now. Your beers suffered a fairly fairly substantial loss this week with the unexpected retirement of Kyle Seeger. Um, Certainly not your, you know, Top fantasy asset or anything like that. But His it's number one never... player,
1: Scotty. Clearly, <laughs> this is going to force him completely into a rebuild. The uh, season is over. He's like Acuna meets Trout meets Tatis all rolled into one. The yep, I have, I have a it's
0: similar announcement
2: working. to what Bill made.
0: So uh, <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. <laughs> well, in, in any case, it's it's never ideal to subtract 35 home runs from your roster. So just your your instant reaction. Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, the
2: first reaction was mainly just, um, you know, being upset because it's been a player that I've literally owned for, I don't know, not 10 years, but I think it might be close to that. I think I maybe acquired him in 2013 or something like that, right? So it's really been a a mainstay on the roster, which, you know, kind of speaks a lot to the way that we think about our players in the BDL of just somebody that, you know, has really been on your team and somebody you've followed for a long time and obviously, you know, tracked their career. so you know, from that perspective was just, was, was, was sad to see it Uh, was definitely unexpected. It wasn't something I was considering. I mean, obviously, you know, I knew he was getting up there, but given his, you know, success over the last few years, definitely hadn't looked like he'd been trailing off. So, um, you know, was, was definitely surprised from that perspective. Um, You know, from a fantasy perspective, I mean, sure it hurts, but you know, I think I have enough versatility to kind of fill in where I needed. I mean, I had a couple of guys that are on the bench that I'm more than happy to, you know, kind of fill in for the time being and see what I can kind of work out. I mean, I don't expect necessarily needing to acquire anybody right away. And we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, you know, it maybe it would have changed some of my strategy as I've kind of traded away a couple of, you know, maybe bench guys that could have filled in, um, you know, from an offensive perspective and some of the trades I made, you know, at the end of the season, but, um, you know, I think we'll just keep operating as is and, you know, kind of plug and play and, you know, necessarily see a hole, but, you know, I'm not too worried that I can't, uh, you know, find the right pieces to fill in there. And we'll, we'll see what crops up, you know, as we get into the season and see how uh, teams start to shake out.
0: Well, Chris, your beers aren't, in line for a premium draft choice this year, at least, you know, not yet. Maybe you'll surprise us and buy in here at the last minute or something. I won't. (laughs) (laughs) How are are you feeling about the upcoming 2022 season for Malibu Bay? Bay?
2: Yeah, so I think for two things. So first off, from the draft perspective, I mean, I'm actually kind of glad that I'm not really heavily invested in this draft. I mean, you know, it's not not that I, uh, you know, don't think that there's good players that will be available, but I'm hoping that we'll see where, you know, kind of the picks that I have in the later rounds, we'll see if there's some value to be had there, you know, may go after some prospects may even, you know, try to pick up some guys that I think will have some impact, uh, you know, for this year. And I, and I will also say, given the fact that we're doing this draft for the first time on the CBS system, I'm kind of glad that I'm not going to be paying attention to like my draft boards. That's a good point. Sure. That this thing runs smoothly. So, (laughs) You know, really so for that. that. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, you have a lot of picks, Scotty. You'll be paying attention to the boards, I'm sure. You know, Brent will be on the edge of his seat, paying attention to the, the draft. Um, You know, <laughs> so you know that really just leaves me to kind of make sure that things don't don't fall off the rails here, and I'm hoping they don't. Um, You know, I think for the outlook for the for the season, though, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, I'll be trying to you know pick up some pieces where I can, and you know, I was kind of mentioning this to Mike as well while we were before we jumped on, but you know i think the bears are a good team you know i don't think they're you know necessarily a great team going into 2022 um but you know i have confidence that you know with the pitching i have out there with kind of the solid offensive contributors that i'll be in the playoffs and i think that's really the only goal that i can have out there you know i think if we look at the the structure of the league i mean i'm sure we could sit here and say that we could project everybody that's going to make the playoffs and i'm sure you know maybe you know one or two teams will surprise us but You know, I'm hoping that uh, you know I can either win the division or finish in one of those wild card slots, and then you know, again, anything's going to happen in the in the playoffs. So, you know, I think that's pretty much my outlook is, you know, make sure to get through the grind for next year. I think I'm set up to do that, and then you know, anything can happen, and hopefully, luck is on my side. Um, I do think it's interesting to see what will happen with you know the injuries that happened this year, as well as you know, kind of the COVID situation, not only the the delay of the season, but just what my players might be in and out for you know, you know, certain stretches of games, I think to me, that's probably going to determine a lot of, you know, where people end up placing this year, uh, you know, from a playoff standpoint.
0: Had you already noticed that your 2021 campaign was your second best ever in the BDL?
2: <laughs> uh, I did notice that. And I, I you know, it was kind of funny to think back because I don't know if you remember at the beginning of last season, we were talking about how bad of luck I was yep. running into, even though I had a really strong team. So, you know, I thought, back and, you know, really thought that I had the chance going into the year to have my best season. And I think, you know, if anything, having the second best, but running into a lot of the, you know, buzz saws that I ended up running into every week, um, you know, I think I had a strong performance. And, you know, listen, I think going into next year, there's still the potential for that to happen. But, you know, it's just going to come down to health and luck. I mean, you know, really is is what it's going to, you know, the piece for me. I mean, I lost a lot of players to injury last year, as did everybody. So it will just be interesting to see if something like that happens again this year or if, you know, I can stay healthier or somebody else is going to get, you know, more unhealthy. But, you know, I think to me that's kind of the outlook on the team is, is you know, definitely set up for success. Um, I think there's a clear top tier that I may be just below going into this year. But, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that without some luck and even some potential, you know, gems that I can dig up somewhere that we can, you know, figure it out.
0: In two years, the Beers added 41 wins to its season total. That was between 2019 2021. With the current state of the North, the Amish are rebuilding hard and the Killer Cars are, well, still trying to find their way. It appears the Beers are locked in at the top of the division for at least the next couple of seasons, I think. Are the Moncton Mounties on your radar at all? Do you consider them contenders in the North along with the Beers or just... Pests on your path to another division title?
2: No, I, I absolutely consider them contenders. I mean, and, and like I said, if you think back to the the playoff show that we had, playoff mm-hmm. review. I mean, obviously they you know they beat the Beers, but it was never a negative on the future of that team or even the structure of that team. It was just the fact that they were so unhealthy going into the playoffs, right? Yeah. So particular, I think even if you think particular, back, to
1: the- particular. This yeah, was just a mall. exactly.
2: So even if you think back to that conversation, about, I really, I mean, that's a it's a good team. It was a good team before Stephen owned it. It's a good team now that Stephen owns it. So, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, a battle, you know, for that top spot. And again, from my perspective, I mean, you know, do I want to win the, win the division? Absolutely. If I finish in a wild card spot, is that really the end of the world to me? No. So, you know, I think it really just, you know, ensure getting into the playoffs and then we can go from there. But I mean, I think if that team is a, as a competitive team and and, you know listen I mean yes the Amish are rebuilding so they may be a little bit down but you know Johnny can always pull something out of his ass too right I mean you know there's definitely (laughs) you know tricks that he has up his sleeve that can be had so you know yes it hasn't necessarily we haven't necessarily seen the success out of that team maybe in the recent years but you know again that doesn't mean that there can't be uh you know some creep up from that club which you know, again, may not challenge me for a, you know, a a playoff spot, but may, you know, just be one of those, you know, spoiler teams that starts to, you know, kind of ruin some of your, uh, you know, some of your strategy (laughs) as you go through the year.
0: Well, you essentially kicked off Gotham City's big rebuild this offseason by sending two touted prospects along with a really good young major leaguer, Trent Gresham for Clayton Kershaw, Aurelis Chapman. So, so far, you know, this is your only big offseason move, but it's a notable one. It's a I think it's a targeted one. How do these two arms shore up weaknesses you had heading into the last postseason?
2: Yeah, I mean what I've been trying to do is I, I looked at kind of the the, the top pitcher rankings from twenty fifteen and I've been trying to acquire all those guys. Um so- <laughs> So if you look at my team, it might look a little, you know, just think of it in 2015 context, and you might mad me like, wow, this guy's got that's, the best, that's a good team. best I've rotation had. I've ever seen. That's but, I mean, listen, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to give up, uh, you know, on some of the prospects I gave, especially, you know, Holby. I didn't want to give up Grisham. But, you know, I'm trying to find the right balance here, and I've never been a heavy, a heavy pitching team. I think I was last year more than I ever have been, and as you mentioned, you know, you know, was starting to, you know, challenge maybe my best record out there. Um, so I've been trying to really build up that piece I mean listen you know Kershaw is not top tier Kershaw anymore but I'm really hoping that he can find the right situation to still be a very successful you know pitcher for the next couple of years which is all that I'm you know hopefully relying on and then you know really Chapman again also not on the you know upside of his career but you know saves to me just crushed me last year you know I tried to acquire them at the beginning of the year. You know i wasted you know a first round pick on two guys that weren't even closers you know really for the for the for the full year and you know really were terrible even when they were in the closer position so i'm just trying to find some solid ground there and at least you know i was able to pick up two guys going into the year that i'm hoping are going to give me saves on the yankees and the mets and you know really just hopefully can piece that together because um you know that to me is just such a hard position to peg down. So that was really my my thought process between the two things: get another arm that you know really, hopefully has the ability to to really stay at that top tier for the next you know few years, and then hopefully bring in some safe saves, which is you know kind of a funny thing to say just because of how unsafe that category is. But you know, I mean, Chapman, you know, hopefully, and I'm going to say this, and he's going to you know fall off the rails completely, but I'm hoping he has one of the safer uh, jobs out there, even if he struggles from time to time, you know, the Yankees seem to want to leave him in that role. So we'll see.
0: Exactly. You're one of the GMs in the league who doesn't really seem to hesitate to trade elite prospects. Volpe, you mentioned, in my view, for example, yep. is a future star. Yep. And, and I think you knew that when you Very. traded him. Do you never get too attached to players that you have invested in?
2: I mean – I value players on my cost of acquisition, which is I think a weird way to look at things sometimes. You know, Volpe was a free agent ad. You know, he was a a, a, you know a gift to me, right? So to me, yeah, yes. I mean, he's worth. You know, he's worth capital. He's you know an asset that's out there. But you know, I always try to look at it from that perspective on what it costs me to acquire them. So for for example, if I had a first round pick that I used and. You know, maybe I'd be more hesitant to trade that person because of how much it cost me to actually acquire him. So, you know, I tend to look at it from that perspective. But, but on the flip side, I mean, I feel like I do enough research to be able to find new guys that hopefully will climb up those ranks, right? And, you know, it's actually been kind of a shift of my methodology, I would say, since I've joined the league. Because I think over my first couple of years, I needed those high picks to get players that I think were going to have value because I didn't know as much about the guys that were further down the ranks. I'm hoping that now that I'm in my, you know, more tenured seasons here in the league, that I've been able to find some more of those values off the waiver wire, you know, those kinds of things, even later draft picks uh, that have provided value. So I've been trying to at least rebuild from that perspective. Um, you know, sometimes you can't fully rebuild from that perspective, but, you know, I think the benefit is having, you um, A lot of openings in my minor leagues right now i can take the risks on guys that others can't that have stocked you know stocked you know minor league benches and uh hopefully you know two or three of those guys rise maybe a couple other of them don't and i'll replace them eventually down the road with hopefully other guys that have that high upside potential so i think that's kind of the way that i've been viewing it but you know again not that i want to give up on a prospect like volpe if he's gonna you know produce three or four years down the road but I'm hoping that I can find another guy that hopefully climbs up those those value ranks uh,
0: you know, very similarly. So your division rival, the Amish Brotherhood, is one of the worst teams in the BDL today. But <laughs> they have one of the best collections of future dynasty assets in the league. Uh, no question of that, I don't think. As, as you're looking at the 2022 season and beyond, where do you think Awataki makes it makes a move. When?
2: I mean, it's probably two years away, right? I mean, I, you know, I think if you look at the the prospects that he has, he doesn't necessarily have all guys that are very, very far away. And I think the way that we've seen at least other clubs try and flip the switch is that you never, you're never going to be successful if you think that you can wait on all of your prospects and you're never going to be successful. And if you think you can flip all of them for, you know, major league talent right away. Right. So I think it becomes that blend Mm -hmm. of, you know, waiting for four to five premium guys to come up. You take the rest and try and acquire, you know, either whether it's, you know, younger MLB talent or even a little bit older MLB talent. Um, But, you know, that takes time to figure that out. So, I mean, I would expect again, any, you know, serious rebuild in here to be a minimum of two years. And I think it's really just going to depend on, you know, the quality and the risk of the prospects that, you know, that that Joe owns. So, you know, I would expect it to be in that two-year range, which, you know, I think gives me at least and, and you know, even Steven a, a bit of a window to make sure that we can, you know, do what we can for those next two years and then try and figure it out if there's another team that, you know, steps up in our division.
0: Well, looking at the last several seasons in Malibu Bay, your club's progression has been deliberate, but I think patient. How aggressive do you plan to be this year in search of championship number two? Yeah,
2: I mean, I'm always aggressive in pursuit of championship number two. I don't know that that necessarily means that I'm going to go, you know, hog wild on the trade market, right? I mean, I think, you know, aggressive on on trying to achieve championship number two, as I mentioned earlier, really just means setting up my team right to go into the playoffs, right? So, you know, again, I'm going to try and assess where my strengths and weaknesses are, hopefully, as we start to get into the season. And then, you know, figure out if, if things need to be moved around, not only based on where the beers are performing, but, you know, where other teams are performing. So, you know, I think that's going to be the key to me as I think the team is set up well to make that run into the playoffs. Um, I think there are some other teams out there that probably have a greater probability of winning the championship this year. But again, I think there's just, you know, making sure that I can do what I can to make sure that I have that right team to get there and then you know again we'll see where where everything shakes out around the trade deadline and you know if i'm weaker than somebody else let's see what i can get done and that's why i'm trying to at least hold on to you know as many assets as i can going into this season to you know make those moves you know once some other teams become sellers and really find that right time to buy some of the other guys um you know i think the challenge that i've seen at least this off season so far is that there are a couple of guys trying to buy right now which i think has driven up the prices and you know i don't know if you've seen when I've tried to make trades in the past is when I'm, when there's not necessarily everybody else buying. So we'll see if I can kind of, you know, play that right going into the season.
0: Well, Chris, we appreciate your your draft research that you brought to the show today. And and we really thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, try to have you on again soon.
2: Yeah. Am I the most, uh, the, 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 your guest that's been on the most so far? Is-
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: for sure. For sure you are, Chris.
2: I think so. Yeah. Does that mean I'm Chris, your is-
1: Chris is our favorite son.
2: All right, yeah, that's our favorite Chris. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, guys. Like I said, you I actually I... show up on time, Chris, which is much better,
1: <laughs> <much better. laughs>
2: yes. just as a note on the uh, on the mock. Um, I'll try to get that posted here over the next couple of days. Have some cleanup to do, as I mentioned. I was moving some picks around. Um, yeah. Morning. So, for anybody listening, you know, expect that to be posted here in the next next few days, so you can. Uh, it would be so great,
1: guys, if he changes all sixteen of the picks. Which is when it gets posted. Great.
2: Right. Well, I appreciate yeah. the time, yeah. guys. Thanks, all right. buddy. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.
0: All right, Chris, buddy, thanks for all the draft knowledge. That was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, looking really forward to the uh, to the draft kicking off here later this month in January. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I uh, can't wait to see who the generals get to add, Mike.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about that, Scotty.
0: I'm sure you are. It.
1: Yeah, what's, funny, it's, what's funny about these draft previews is when you have no picks, they're not nearly as much fun. Look at all these good players, and you're going to get none of them. <laughs> so,
0: that's all right. Yay for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm normally an all-in or all-out draft mm-hmm. guy. I, I'm either drafting heavily or almost not at all or very little. Um, and this year, I'm, I'm really bought in. So. Yes, you are. Yeah, a lot, lot of interest on my end this year. And uh, Anyway. But uh, again, guys, happy new year. Uh, Appreciate you guys checking in and checking out the show. And we will talk to you again very soon this month. See you guys.